Hey, Scuttlebutt listeners, thank you again for tuning in. I am Vic, uh, working remote, and I'm here with Nancy, also working remote remotely. Hi, everyone. And um, so this is a little strange. So we recorded uh, an interview with Casey Tellison, friend of the show. Um, and for all of our listeners who tuned in before and for those who didn't, Casey Tellison is the author of the book Freaks of a Feather, um, highly acclaimed and received an award uh, through the Marine Corps uh, Heritage Foundation, along with our distinguished awardee and now executive editor of Leatherneck, Nancy Lichman. Um, yeah, and so let's get anyway, that in there again. Yeah, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep throwing that out there. Um, so you guys were at the same event together. Can you explain a little bit about like your interactions with Casey there and how this sort of second interview came about? Well, uh, so. Casey and I were both at the Marine Corps Heritage Foundation Awards. He was the Eugene Fledge winner with for his novel, um, not novel, for his memoir, Freaks of a Feather. And uh, we've talked about that before on the show, as you just said. We talked with Casey. Um, I interviewed Casey for Leatherneck when we ran an excerpt from the book. And so I had talked to him on the phone and uh, remotely with with internet connection multiple times, but never actually met in person until that dinner. And uh, so we got a chance to meet in person, say hello, you know, have a drink together, toast each other. And, um, you know, I wanted to make sure we could get him back on the show to talk about what he's doing now. And so that's how this conversation happened. And uh, yeah, we were really happy to happy to have him back on the show. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of this conversation, so going back to why why we're doing this sort of intro part is it goes off the rails quick. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. It, it, it went off the rails before it even got started. Yeah. Um, but it's all awesome because uh, for those of you who, you know, maybe know Casey or enjoyed the first interview, the guy is, um, I mean, he's brilliant. His mind uh, is just is so sharp. But his wit is just unbelievably dry and hilarious. Um, and so we just got to talking. And, you know, normally we talk to guests before just the schmooze. Um, but this was such great stuff. I didn't want him to have to, like, try to capture lightning in a bottle and say the same thing in the same way and the same tone and the, all that stuff. So we just, we were, we're just going to give you guys the unabridged version um, and just really, really enjoy this uh time with Casey. I think when we start off, we're talking about um, his, uh, how his commencement speech um, for graduate or for law school came about. And so it's really right, hilarious. Right. His references to fellow students thinking he was the janitor. Um, it's just all, it's gold. Um, and so this was such a great interview. Casey's always awesome. So we didn't want to cut any of this stuff for you guys. So yeah, enjoy. And um yeah, this is us, and I hope you guys have fun with it. We surely, we definitely had so much fun with him. We did. We sure did. We hope you enjoy listening. All right. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy the interview. I'm at in this whole situation. Dude, we watched your um, commencement speech, and... Dude, I, I wanted, I was hoping they would pan and show the faculty as you're talking about misery and <laughs> like it was, it was very profound, but, you know, considering there's so much like pomp and circumstance and something like 
and then for you to be up there talking about how the word of the day is misery. <laughs> I thought that was so great. Oh, yeah. I, uh, well, I had to submit the speech and had to get approved, you know. And apparently the dean didn't read it like he was supposed to. So he was, <laughs> he was actually not very pleased with the speech at all. So it was kind of a, oh, double, really? yeah, it was kind of a winning combo. I got to give a pretty nice speech and then piss the Dean off on my way out. So. School's <laughs> out for summer. I know. It was what just, did he not like about it? I think it's because I didn't, uh, for lack of a better term, blow the school, you know, and pretend like it was the greatest thing that I've ever experienced. And I'm like, no, this is a terrible experience. I didn't enjoy this at all, you know? And uh, so I think he wanted much more fluffery than uh, I was yeah. going to Well, dude, um, I hate to ask you to say all these things again, but this is like gold. We got to make sure that we revisit this <laughs> when we, we actually wanna, go. Ex we want to really exploit your experiences for our own personal gain. So just hold that one, okay? Oh, perfect. Well, no, it's, it's it's just to like, I mean, everything about your life and, you know, things obviously we want to talk about for this interview. I mean, it's just so interesting. And so like, this is another aspect where like something that's fairly, I mean, it's a great accomplishment, but it's still fairly like benign. Like, yeah, you got selected for this commencement speech. And then you like take that in a totally different direction from not only that, but the dean who's supposed to approve it doesn't read it and then gets surprised <laughs> on the day of Man, that's so like you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> yeah, I was just I was actually a little shocked to get like even selected in the first place, you know, because he's a bunch of yeah. you know, 22, 24 year old kids. Like what I am yeah, literally no, I, ancient, you know. When they did show everyone standing up, you know, because you know you're a big standing O. Um, yeah, those are some baby faces in there, man. And, like you think about here's our future lawyers. And, like, my wife, you know, she just left law, but I remember in her practice, like, everyone was old and white and male. <laughs> and yeah. so when they showed the law school, I'm like, oh, yeah, they are young at one point, aren't they? <laughs> and I have a lot of that equation. I just don't have the experience part, you know. I have right, the <laughs> But, yeah, it's, it was pretty funny. Well, it's funny, too, I, like, going around the school, too, I always felt like, people looked at me like I was there to fix the HVAC or something, you know, like, <laughs> like they're going to tell me that there was a toilet backed up on the third floor or something. You know, <laughs> so it was, it was always pretty funny. So, so real quick, Nancy, I'm going to just go ahead and, and make the call that we're just, this is going to be part of the interview and we'll just do a front part going into this thing. All right. Yeah. Are you recording yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I hit record early on uh, just to okay, make good. sure. So, so, Casey, you are now locked in on all the shit. So, nice thing is you don't have to say it all again. But the thing is, this is gonna, this is airing. So, <laughs> well, um, well, let me at least do the introductions at this point, since our listeners will be just be tuning in halfway through our conversation. <laughs> so, uh, scuttlebutt listeners, yeah, here we are. Uh, you know, we are a good ten minutes into our conversation already, and we are here with uh, author, a jurist doctor, Casey Tellison. Thanks for being on the show, man. Well, thanks for having me, Rick and Nancy. It's always a pleasure to talk to you guys. Yeah, this is really great. So 
uh, for those uh, who uh, didn't tune in earlier um, or who didn't weren't paying attention or pay attention, that sounds a little uh, in, in <laughs> a little bit of an indictment there. Um, we had an earlier episode with Casey where we uh, talked about his book, Freaks of a Feather. Um, a wonderful, wonderful, just profound, beautiful memoir about uh, your time in Iraq, uh, your transition from the Corps as a machine gunner, um, and your journey uh, with mental health, uh, with family life, um, life no longer as active duty Marine. It was such a wonderful book that you were awarded um, by the Marine Corps Heritage Foundation for uh, Outstanding Memoir. Um, and so here we are, Nancy Lich Lichman, also an award winner, and Casey Tellison, an award winner from the same event, from the same foundation. So this is so great. But again, man, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Yeah, it makes you want to believe in a believe in fate, you know, me and Nancy were there at the same award ceremony. Um, but yeah, it was, that was a really cool experience. Um, definitely like most things in my life felt completely out of place there, you know, but, uh, it was Thank definitely, <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a cool experience. I, now I can check off the list. I met a commandant, so I've done that now. Probably. Yeah. Good. Yeah. yeah. And, they, and, uh, a, uh, a, a pretty, uh, a, a not a, um, very controversial one at this stage, as well, so controversy seems to follow you around, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's uh, yeah, crazy times we're living. Yeah. Well, I thought it was so great too, um, because I think uh, we interviewed you. I mean, a few months before they announced the award winners, um, and so to have both you know Nancy and you in the same place, we really were trying to actually get our mobile podcasting suite there so we could actually talk to you guys at the event but uh they shut us they wouldn't even let us come in through the back door <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's great to have you guys both here it's just that way too complicated i mean they knew they had to let me in because i was getting an award but when i heard about yeah 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 um so, well, tell us a little bit, because there's obviously a lot, uh, for those who caught the first part of this, a lot, lot going on with you. Um, tell us a little bit about what it was like to receive the award, to be at the event, um, some of the reception of your book since having gotten the award. Like, how, how's, how's, the, uh, how's the fantastic voyage been? <laughs> I mean, like I kind of already alluded to, it's very surreal. You know, you just... One, I'm in a tuxedo. I think I haven't been in a tuxedo since I was, you know, 17 years old at prom. So that was kind of funny. <laughs> and so it was funny because I just naturally rented it because I don't own a tuxedo. So I go to pick it up the day before and the pants are literally a foot too short. Oh. On the... <laughs> and I was like, oh, excellent. And I, I told the guy, I was like, I think we have a little problem. He's like, oh, yeah, I guess they look a little short. And I'm like, my calves are exposed, man. This is, we've reached. <laughs> Did he try to, to sell you on that, that it's a European cut? <laughs> he didn't, actually. I was surprised. I was expecting that, yeah. But no, he, luckily they had a tailor there and able to fix it. But no, it was, it was a really cool experience. My family came, like my, well, not my, my children didn't come, but my wife came and my mother and father came. So that was really cool. Um, yeah, my mom's always just been 
one of my biggest supporters as a writer, and so is my wife. So it was really cool that they got to be there for that. And and the event, the Marine Corps Heritage Foundation did such a top-notch class A job in putting together an event that that I mean, it felt really amazing. It felt really special, but it wasn't um, pretentious. At least that that was my impression. Didn't you just feel like I, I don't know? It was very. I still, you know, like have to pinch myself. Wait, was I really at that? Was that real? <laughs> yeah, no, it was well. My only recommendation, though, is if you're going to have an open bar, maybe have cheeseburgers or something other than a tiny morsel of steak. Because my drinking, you know, Matt didn't match up with my food intake. So I was definitely kind of <laughs> stumbling out of there by the end of it. Well, I had uh, my my youngest son was with us. He's 23, and I'm trying to remember now why why there was a oh, oh I okay so we keep kosher so some of the stuff that was on everybody else's plate they left off of our plate. I think you guys had shrimp or something. I don't know. So they gave us two steaks. Well, I didn't eat two of those steaks, but my 23 year old son like by by the, on the second steak, you could just kind of see him there, like, you know, smiling and closing his <laughs> eyes, taking a bite of steak. Like, this is the greatest meal I've ever had. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> like, anyway. No, but overall, it was a fantastic event. And like you said, I mean, it was very well put together. I mean, they ran that thing like a tight ship. I mean, there was everything was on time. Everything went perfect, you know. I uh, got to meet uh, a couple of dudes I'd only met through Instagram. So that was cool to meet them finally. Uh, Worth Parker, I don't know if you guys know Worth, if you've had him on the show or not, but uh, he's pretty fantastic, and he's definitely somebody you guys should reach out to. He uh, helped co-write that okay. Facebook um, with um, Tom Schumann. Yeah, so he co-wrote, he wrote the F. Danny part of that book. Okay. Uh, he was a Marine Raider forever, just a top-notch dude. Yeah, when we we had uh, we had Tom uh, on the show and we talked about the book, he didn't he didn't mention him uh, helping out with the uh, Zach narrative uh, for that. But and it's tremendous. He's got this southern drawl of a voice that'll just like lull you like to sleep. You're like, man, that's one of the most soothing voices I've ever heard before. Like you speak like I imagine a mint julep would would speak. Um. So what has it been like? So how did that work? Did you just like get an email like, hey, congratulations? Or um, did you know that this was like sort of coming down the pike and that you were a nominee? Like, how does the give us a little of you? Yeah, so I I didn't think I had much of a shot of winning, you know, Um, mainly because I was also going up against Schumann for that um, for his book. And. And I don't know, just because I'm a paranoid freak, I assumed it was some kind of an officer's club, you know, and they really, mm. maybe they weren't going to give it to an enlisted guy. But uh, so that was, I was definitely surprised I got it, you know. Um, but yeah, just an email that said, hey, you won this award, you get to, you know, fly out if you want to and come to this award ceremony. So it was definitely a shock. I definitely wasn't expecting it at all. And then how's it been since? I mean, because you published i should have grabbed it it's right over on my but i mean you were published i mean a few years ago um it'd be pre-law school right it was so it was my one l year of law school yeah okay so that, it was that so it was the summer of my first year and okay. yeah it was just i'm just happy it's still 
somewhat relevant. You know, that's always pretty cool. A lot of these books will have. Uh, a yeah. And isn't it the the uh, PB Abate's book club selection for this month, or was that last month? I, that I was. Read, sorry. That was. That's been a few months ago, but we're actually. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm headed out there uh, into this month, though, for the big retreat, though. So Sebastian Younger is going to be there and stuff, so it should be a pretty good time. Yeah. They're actually bringing me because I used to barbecue for a living, you know? So I think they're just bringing me to help them cook the pig, I think. That's fine. We've got, we've got all this meat. We have no one who knows anything to do with it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so um, what has it been like for you, um, I guess – you, you you know you've got a lot of like things that are culminating sort of simultaneous and then now you're revisiting um your memoir uh, uh you know, is it has it been sort of a nice sort of um validation of all the work that you put in prior to law school uh is it kind of stressing you out a little bit because now you have to can, there's just another thing you know another pound that has to go in the pack even if it's awesome like how has it been or is it just some you, you're so focused now like on the bar and graduating law school that it's just uh, yeah where are you at right i guess so it was that the night of the award ceremony i finally allowed myself to feel proud of myself for like five minutes you know like i'm gonna take a good solid five minutes here be proud of myself for having stuck with this project, you know. And then after that, the next morning, I was slightly hungover. I'm like, oh, you only wrote one book. Who cares? You know, doesn't matter. You're a one hit wonder, you know. Congratulations, Casey. Hey, but you're uh, one for one, dude. Like, it's a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just not the way my brain works, but it's, and then like the law, you know, graduating law school and stuff. It's just, it is funny that all this kind of stuff is kind of hit at once because I'm, I'm always, it seems in my life I'm always working towards something and never actually chasing it down, you know, and then I've actually chased down a couple of things. So I, it's like a, when the dog actually catches the bird and they don't know what to do with it. That's kind of what I feel <laughs> yeah. like. <laughs> yeah. I remember when, speaking, I remember when uh, my, my dog caught her first squirrel. Um, she tried to squish it, its belly to make it squeak <laughs> like her toys. <laughs> yeah. And then it finally just ran away. But anyways, that's a stupid story. Um, but uh, so, and then what has it been? Like, are you getting more um, people, publishing houses or uh, publishing people trying to talk to you about a potential future project or you're just kind of riding this wave? I'm just kind of riding this wave. I haven't really heard anything. I, I made some, I did make some cool connections that night with some other offers, authors. Um, the author of the Wolves of Helmand, we've started a mm, yeah. dialogue, so uh, it's been cool to talk to him. It was just really, just really neat to be around all those people, you know, as far as like gigs or anything like that, I've definitely got some offers to write for some different publications and stuff like that, but I just keep having to tell people to like, by the end of the day, my brain is mush from bar prep, you know, so I can't even right. barely pick something on the TV, so I don't really feel like I'm up for writing anything uh, creatively right now, so I'm hoping to get through this bar prep thing, take the bar at the end of July, and then hopefully I can start writing again, seriously. Do you have any, like, you have anything in the queue? Any ideas or? Yeah, I'm, I'm working on working on some different essays. Um, and then I do have a substantial part of a novel written that I really want awesome. to see. Yeah, oh, that's, that's great. So, yeah, I was just, your prose, man, is just so tight. Uh, 
And, you know, I think it's worth mentioning because we mentioned it last time you were on. But, you know, Cormac McCarthy just passed away. Uh, not like I'm insinuating that you would fill that void or anything. But, I mean, there is, um, I don't know, I think ev with everything in the media, it's, there's no, there needs to be more of an appetite for sort of that long, um, to sticking with something, whether it's, you know, an endeavor, a project, or a narrative in the way that you compose your writing. Um, I, I really feel like, yeah, I'd re really like to see you write a novel, I guess is where I'm going with all this. So that's awesome. Yeah, I, I mean, geez, what a, I got a little notification on my phone yesterday about Cormac McCarthy, and like, you wouldn't think it would bum me out so much because, I mean, this guy was almost 90, you know, but man, yesterday I was just like melancholy thinking about yeah. it. Just, just to think that like, that mind is no longer in the world. It just seems like we're not as not as well off as we were when he was still around. Uh, yeah, yeah. What a what a what a loss. You know, I don't think we'll ever ever see that guy's equal again. Or maybe we've never had in the first place. But yeah, yeah. At least for for what he was doing. I mean, yeah. you definitely got to put him in the uh, you know sort of the Tolkien um, like these really iconic iconoclast sort of people yeah well it's so interesting too that the guy just didn't keep up with the times you know like he didn't care what was yeah. popular, what wasn't he was like no these are what this is what i'm gonna write and he just went for it and, and everything mm -hmm. speaks for itself you know i mean i think the most commercially viable thing he wrote was the road you know and it's hilarious that that's a commercially viable thing for corn for right right well, I mean, you know, they made a ton of money off of the, the, the obviously the film of uh, No Country for Old Men, um, but yeah, the road is is still like one of my, I mean, really foundational texts for me, um, especially as a as a father. But uh, we digress. Um, so, just uh, also, so yeah, we've alluded to it a few times now. So you are officially a Juris Doctor um, from Gonzaga University. Um, and Nancy was kind enough to share your YouTube link, which we're going to post, uh, in the show description here to your commencement speech, man. So congratulations on getting selected for that. Thank you yeah. very much. Yeah. How did you get selected? What was that process like? They just, uh, they just have, uh, a ballot, you know, so they just, and they break, it goes down into three different, I think it's like three different, uh, voting rounds where they narrow it down and then I just kept getting selected and kept getting selected so uh, yeah it was kind of funny too because it came at like naturally the worst possible time you know towards finals is when you get the word so you got to take your finals and then I'm stressing out about this writing this speech you know and just because my brain is the way it is like I yeah I just was stressed about it you know what I mean and I asked people and I was like god did I how did I look did I look pretty nervous up there and like no you look fine I was like oh well, I was about to vomit so I'm glad that I didn't look too nervous up there you, you look yeah you looked very relaxed I was I was very impressed uh, I'm not a huge fan of public speaking so um yeah you you looked incredibly relaxed at least on the YouTube video and it was a great speech thank you thank you it really much. was great yeah um how did you, so, I mean, it, so in your speech, you talked about, like, uh, you needed to just shut your brain off and then, you know, sort of let the let the inner workings, let the synapses do the work. 
is that really is that really what happened? Like you just were looking for a word and then it came up as you were scrolling through Netflix? Yeah, a hundred percent. And that I I'm a Stephen King junkie, so his like stuff is always kind of like queued up as stuff that you should watch or that stuff that I've already watched a hundred times. And uh, I had been I'd written like three speeches and they were just garbage, you know. And I was like, this is completely phony, you know what I mean? And I didn't even sound like myself. And uh, yeah, so I just kept I kept going on hikes and I kept going like on jogs and like trying to think about it. And I would kind of come up with like a maybe a concept or whatever, but I didn't have the right vehicle for the concept because I hadn't found that word yet, you know? And then, mm-hmm. and then, yeah, there, there was just waiting for me, you know? So, and that's one of my favorite movies of all time, Misery. Fantastic movie. So I was like, this is perfect. Sure. I get yeah, to plug. Oh, it's a great movie. Yeah. I mean, it's just like the scene with the, the legs part is just chilling still. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. And Kathy Bates, I mean, what a like performance of a lifetime. It's fantastic. But I did want to be truthful to the experience of law school. And a lot of law school, as I'm sure your wife can attest to, Vic, is it is truly miserable. You know what I mean? Like it like you you get to push past those one, I had to toughen up my ass because I was sitting so long reading, you know, and I had never done that. I'd never sat that long in my life, you know. So like literally the first semester, I'm like, my ass is sore. Like I have to get my ass in sitting shape for this experience. And so it's just like, it's, you study as much as you think you can, and then you study for three hours longer. And that's kind of how it goes. Were you like, would you like go from class to class with like one of those hemorrhoid donuts? I should have, you know, but (laughs) I didn't, I'm already the oldest person there. So the last thing I want is a hemorrhoid donut to to accompany (laughs) accompany my walker. So yeah, it was just, it was just funny because school has always come, I I don't want to sound conceited or anything, but it's, it's always come pretty easy to me. I've never had to like really struggle to do well in school. And that was not the case in law school. Like it was not super easy. It didn't come intuitively to me. It's because the writing's so weird. What they're looking for is so weird. It was just completely out of anything I'd ever done before. So that first year, it was definitely like, okay, time to make some adjustments. And like, this is not a good time. So, and then also because I, just a glutton for punishment. I kept doing extra stuff, you know, because like I got on the law review, became the managing editor of the law review. And I'm like, what are you doing, Casey? Stop, stop this, you know? And so, yeah, this one thing, everything just spiraled out of control before. No, I'm like, I just, you know, I sleep three or four hours a night if I'm lucky, you know, and the rest is just banging yeah. my head against stuff. But it was good. And like, you know, like I mentioned in the speech too, it's like, I, I do think I'm better for the experience, you know, and I think it's hopefully it hasn't completely destroyed my actual creative writing, but uh, uh, it's been good, you know, and I think it's been, at least my ass is tougher now, so I got that going for <laughs> yeah, me. Right. I was just going to say, you, you at least have that as a, you know, as a, I don't know, a, a trophy? <laughs> yeah. yeah, weird, weird. So, yeah, if either of you are thinking about going to law school, maybe don't. <laughs> Yeah, no, that is, is yeah, no, ne- never did think about it because um, I, I don't have the, I don't have the um, intellectual stamina for that. Um, yeah, and that's so what my it is. is off to you. I don't think it, it has nothing to do with like, I don't think it has anything to do with like your actual intelligence, you know, it's like literally like, can you sit in this chair and read this stuff? Like, can you endure that? I don't think it has much to do with like, oh, this person's actually really smart. It's like, no, is this person 
a lug enough that they could just sit there and take all this reading. You know what I mean? Especially because it's reading that you're just like, oh, wow, I'm not interested in a lot of this in the slightest. <laughs> it's so interesting. Like, you know, um, we, there's such a um, stigma or, uh, and a um, stereotype of, you know, lawyers being these very um, almost narcissistic in their arrogance um, very confident, um, but like talking, hearing you talk reminds me a lot of like my wife, things that she would say, and it almost sounds like self-deprecating, but there's a sincerity level too. It's like, I'm not that smart. I'm just really good at like the patience and the, the, the discipline to sit and read through this yes. excruciating document and pulling out the requisite information that I need. Yeah, so really it doesn't come, I mean, I, I guess that's a form of intelligence to a certain degree, but it's not like necessarily this like, the and another thing to your point, like the narcissism and that kind of stuff. One thing I've realized is that, including myself, just about everybody at law school has some kind of mental disorder, you know, or one way, shape or another. Like we're all have some fucked up broken part within us and that's why we're at law school. So there's that too you have to contend with. Most of us are on the spectrum and then we have an accompanying mental disorder so that you get that right. too yeah mixed in with a type a personality yeah <laughs> maybe i need to um, reconsider that I might that in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um and so uh as you were giving that so we were joking earlier about um you know the dean being the first the first time you heard it was when you were giving it um one of the things i found really interesting is this idea, the sort of this juxtaposition of you being in law school, you know, former machine gunner, um, combat veteran, published and recognized awarded author, in with kids whose experience level, not only is their age, not only separated from age, but your experience. Was there something about that environment that the Marine Corps in a weird way sort of prepared you for? Because you know, you were in these leadership positions with younger Americans, younger people who were very, you know, goal-oriented, mission-oriented, um, and wanted to achieve at a high level. And here you are again, years later, in that same sort of environment. Did you f sort of feel like, like that section leader, that squad leader, those attributes coming out in that? Or were you just so, like, nose to the grindstone? No, it seemed, it seemed very, you know, and you don't want to compare anything to the Marine Corps because people get mad. Marines get mad that there's nothing like the Marine Corps, but it's very, <laughs> it, it's very similar, you know, even like one of the premises of my book, you know, Freaks with Feathers, like you have this particular kind of people and they see this beacon and they're all kind of drawn towards it for whatever reason. But some of the, right. a lot of the underlying reasons are the same, you know, there's this, there's this need to prove yourself, you know, to find, to finally find something that maybe you can intellectually be proud of as, cause you get a couple of cool little letters after your name or something. And you're just kind of right. seeking, you know, and there's some people there that are like probably, you know, save the world types, you know, but it, it but also at their core is they're trying to prove something to themselves too, that they can do this and they can, you know, so you get a lot of the same mentality and a lot of the same doggedness in law students that you do in Marines of like, well, I'm, he I'm here, I'm going to do the best I can, you know, and then you definitely get the, the self-sorting that you also get in the Marine Corps where people start to group into the higher mm. performers, mid performers and the people that are kind of just there for the paycheck. So right. 
I saw a lot of the same exact stuff, you know, in law school. And then um, it's, it was interesting too, because I, there was a lot of people there that are like private school kids, you know what I mean? And I am uh, objectively not a private school kid, you know? So it was, <laughs> but it was funny to see though, that like, despite these differences, just like in the Marine Corps, there's this common foundation of things of like, a t I'm just, the more I'm around people, the more I realize that, and the more I feel that like, there are literally just types of people, you know what I mean? And they kind of just all start to coagulate together anytime you're in a big group and you'll find each other eventually. And that's, it definitely kind of reinforced itself in law school. And then that idea too, you know, sort of the theme of your commencement speech about misery. I mean, it really does, it is the glue that binds, right? In so yeah. many ways. Yeah, and especially too, like doing the law review thing, you have this uh, added layer of this smaller group of people. And I guess it's very Marine Corps-like too, the law review, because it's all these dummies that think they're smarter than everybody, you know? So we, uh, and we think we're the best, obviously. And so, but it's, all it is, is this, this added misery of doing this academic work and, you know, reading these academic articles written by professors and uh, judges and clerks and that kind of stuff. And you just have to, you really bond with those people because you're like, okay, not only am I doing law school and working, I'm also putting in, you know, four hours a day on law review. And it kind of, you just get that, the more, the more miser miserable the experience is, it seems like the, the stronger the bond is. And that definitely was the same with law review too. And, you know, something I definitely saw echoes in the Marine Corps in the law review. Nice. Okay. So you are uh, a man of eternal transition. So now you are moving into um, bar uh, prep. What is that like? Uh, it's 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 almost comical the sheer volume of stuff. You know, it's kind of you just kind of have to see your task for the day. Because I've got this. I'm using Themis. That's their one of the bar prep companies. You know, right. and they'll task, they'll task you out like. Uh, here's what you should do today to keep on track, you know? And then because if I have a list of things I have to do today, like I have to get those things done at all costs. So, but it's just, you just see the volume of this stuff and like, they're like, yeah, so learn criminal procedure today and then take a test. They're like, oh, so just learn all of criminal procedure today and take a test on it. Like super, I, that should be yeah, awesome. What am I going to do with the rest of my day? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's just been kind of comical because it's even, the volume is, is, is more intense than law school. You know what I mean? Like it just, it's, it's kind of funny. And then it's like, they give you a recommended study schedule and the recommended study schedule is like eight hours a day, seven days a week for two months straight. Whoa. That's the schedule. So you're just like, this is, this is, and I don't know if anyone like actually does the whole thing. Cause I don't, I, you might evaporate. I'm not sure. But uh, so far, I'm I'm holding the line, but it's definitely like, geez, this is a lot again. So here I am. A lot, yeah, a yeah. lot. That sounds like an understatement. It sounds it sounds like more than a lot. Um, it, I don't. I mean, how do you keep your focus for that long? And what happens to your family life? Is that just in the toilet now? Uh, you know, the fan just got out of school. My wife's a teacher. She's a third grade teacher. So she just got done with school and the kids are back home now. So we, this is our first week back cohabitating. So we'll see what happens. Too early to tell, but I think we're, <laughs> I just put up a white trash pool for them outside, like an above ground pool. So hopefully that keeps them distracted. For <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man. 
Um, so what do you, I guess, so your word for um, law school was misery. What sort of your, as you reflect back, I don't even know if you've had time to reflect um, with all, you know, everything you got going on, but it seems to me like a word for this season in your life is, is sort of perseverance. Do you think that, <clears throat> does, yeah. that does that resonate? Yeah, hundred percent. That's, I think that's kind of the, I don't know, maybe that's like, should be everybody's word for life. You know, some of this, you just got to persevere, you know, and it, you just can't, I don't know. I, the way I'm wired is I just can't stop doing stuff, you know, cause that's like, I know one of the reasons we want to get together is talk about mental health and stuff, but like one of my coping mechanisms is staying busy. You know what I mean? So yeah. for me, this is just my kind of my constant state of being. If I'm not, if I'm not completely overwhelmed with tasks, like that's when I'll start to have issues, you know? Yeah. So it kind of perseverance, endurance. I don't know. That's just kind of just, that's just the way I live, you know, and I kind of have to. Do you, do you start to, when you're not, as you said, overwhelmed with tasks, do you start to overthink? Is that, is that what you mean by kind of get in trouble? Yeah, I'll overthink or I'll, you know, just that's when I'll start to engage in like more self-destructive behavior. If I have too much free time to myself, you know, that's when uh, the bourbon bottle starts to look a little too appealing and starts whispering to me on the table, that kind of stuff. And so it's just, I got to just, I got to stay moving. I got to stay busy. That's just the way I've kind of dealt with things pretty much forever. And I don't know if it's a healthy coping mechanism, but. It makes it pretty productive, so that's a bonus, you know. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. it, it seems like a real, pro it's very productive in terms of coping skills. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I think that the these points are uh, important later. This, um, and I'm not sure where we're gonna fall out uh, in the the airing schedule of this episode, but we've got this month coming up um, for PTSD Awareness Month. <clears throat> we've got the director of this movie that's came out on June 9th uh, called Mending the Line, and it deals with post-traumatic stress and, and mental health and the therapeutic aspects of fly fishing. Mm. And then it tells it through a, uh, a fictional tale, but obviously pulling from a lot of real-world uh, uh, accounts, but of a Marine who is wounded in uh, Afghanistan uh, and is having trouble transitioning, uh, and he finds uh, a mentor in a Vietnam vet who was also a former a veteran Marine, uh, and they, they sort of come through uh, their mental health um, therapy through fly, fly fishing together in Montana. It's a beautiful uh, story. Uh, but anyhow, that's a really long setup to say, like, everybody sort of has their own thing, and there's no, like, right way of working through, um, you know, mental health and post-traumatic stress. I know for me, um, I can't do the um, overtasking things because as a, as a San Diego beach kid, I don't I don't deal well with stress. Um, and so, which, you know, probably didn't serve me too well on multiple combat tours, but at the same time, um, like my thing is, is that balance. And so for me, um, almost, you know, metaphorically and so and in many cases, literally, like I need to be on the board in the moment as the waves are approaching one at a time. 
Mm-hmm. Um, if I start thinking about the upcoming swell or the reef or where everything's breaking, then I'm, you know, I'm, it's, it's, I'm going to shut down. Um, mm-hmm. So I've got to sort of do the balancing thing. Um, and so, but it, it, all of that is to say, um, mental health is that thing that you can't cookie cut. Mm-hmm. Um, you've really got to, and it, why it's such a challenge for mental health professionals, I think, is, is that there is no template for this damn thing. No, and everybody brings their own baggage to the table, whether that be their, you know, their personal trauma or their upbringing in general. Like you said, we have we have very different upbringings, you know, so I deal with things in a different way than you do. And I think maybe mm. some of mine comes from my dad being a somewhat workaholic, you know what I mean? But always being super productive and it's something I always watched and I always was like, oh, this guy's got it together because he's always working. So it's something I always associated with having your shit together was just nonstop working. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, so that just was just what I observed when I was a kid. And so that's a whole other thing I'm bringing to the table. Then with all the shit that happened in Iraq, too, you have that, too. And they kind of co-mingle. And then you have something entirely different, which, uh, like you said, it's it's there's no one medication or one therapy that works for everybody. And, like, yeah. even my, my method of staying spread super thin and always busy so I can't really dwell on things, it uh, it has its pitfalls because, like, during law school – I started to get overwhelmed, you know, and I started to have like, I started to almost regress because I was like, oh, I've actually taken on too much. You know what I mean? Like, I can't like this. I've, I'm using this, my coping mes- mechanism as like a means of self-destruction or something. Cause this is too much. And I started to like really struggle there for a couple of months and was like going to dark places again. I'm like, dude, you just got to center your chi and keep working and everything will be fine and luckily it was you know what i mean i was able to you know use some strategies that i've used in the past and just kind of focus and keep working but it was it was interesting because it was like the thing i normally do to keep my mind right was starting to be the thing that was hurting me more you know so it's it's like with everybody and like you said it earlier it's a balance you know what i mean and even your coping mechanisms have to be balanced to a certain degree yeah that's a great point yeah and not a obviously everybody who's listening knows I'm not a, a marine, not a veteran. Also, disclaimer, not a mental health professional. But what I what I hear from both of you is that uh, what it sounds like to me. Correct me if I'm wrong. That you know there's there's not some magical world where you are and you're cured or you know you're 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 everything's great. But that what you do is you learn coping mechanisms, coping skills, and you learn better how to handle those triggers and those things that, that like you said, Casey, take you to a dark place. But that's really what it's the key to is, is that and understanding that, you know, you're not, I don't know if I'm using the right terminology here, but you're not, you know, fixed, but that you have a much better understanding of what you need to do to be, you know, feeling good on a daily basis. Yeah, that's no, that's perfect. Yeah, just like one of Vic's word of the days, you know, endurance, like that's part of it too. Like you have to, it's a constant thing. You can't, and once you start, you don't give it attention and you kind of put it on the back burner, it becomes a problem again. So it's like you can get to a place where you're feeling really good and everything's going well, but you didn't get there without work and effort. And you have to realize that and keep putting forth that effort to maintain that kind of homeostasis, the hopefully homeostasis that you can get from actually putting effort in your mental health. But it's not a, you don't just go through something like, well, now it's all good. You know, everything's, I'm fine now. Yeah. That was awesome. 
no, it's a constant, like you got to keep it in check. You got to keep it, you got to be mindful of it. And uh, if you don't, it'll come back and bite you, you know? And I think maybe that's some mistakes that people do. They'll go maybe on a retreat or something, feel great, and then quit doing the things that got them there. And then they're right back where they started, if not worse. So it's, I mean, it's a, just a constant, you got to put effort into it. I think people make the mistake of thinking that um, good mental health can be, uh, you know, sort of repaired in the way that a broken bone can be set and then heal. Mm-hmm. And and I, I don't, again, not a mental health professional here, need to put that disclaimer out there, but I, I don't think in my in my time living on this earth that is that's not true that's not true it's it's a you know it's a constant thing to to be living your best life every day you have to work with it yeah and you gotta you just gotta i don't know it's for me it's uh helpful to think about the times in my life when i was felt the best and was doing the best and i had to think about what was i doing on those what was i doing that made me feel that way because often you'll just quit doing those things even though like subconsciously, you know, you should be doing them. Like I know I, I, if I don't get some kind of daily exercise or something, either it's moving weights around, going for a walk or hiking or something, which is one of the problems I had in law school because I quit doing that because I just, I didn't have the time or at least in my head, I didn't have the time, you know? Yeah. So uh, that became a problem, you know what I mean? Because before law school, I was running, you know, anywhere from, you know, on a low end, like 20 miles a week to 40 miles a week, you know? And, uh, so I was just, it was this time where I would have by myself where I could reflect, be in a little bit of pain and kind of sort yeah. my thoughts out. And then once I removed that from my, you know, daily practice, it, it there were implications and there were problems because of that, you know, and I just didn't even put two and two together. And then months passed by. And before I knew it, I was like, why do I feel so shitty? You know, like, well, you sit on your ass all day, you don't get any exercise. You know, I mean, that's a big part of it too, for me. And so I think and it, like daily practices, I think are just key for me. Uh, I'm sure other people are the same. Like if I can do some like daily journaling just to get out of the monkey brain and get something on the page, even if it's a three senses, four senses or something, you know, like if I do that in the morning and I get some exercise in, I'm generally going to be okay for the day, you know? And when I quit doing those things, which happens to me all the time, that's when I'll start to regress and start to, you know, kind of be stuck in my own bullshit. Yeah, I think um, that's a, a, a nice sort of, not nice, but I think there's a lot to be said there for that, uh, not only the repetition of <clears throat> sort of the um, how you persevere uh, through mental health, at least for me, and I, I only I only want to speak, you know, experientially, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't want to talk, speak for everybody, because, you know, I understand it's it's different for everyone. But I think of it uh, in lots of ways. One, I think for me, um, giving myself grace, it's probably the hardest thing for me to do. But like, I'm going to go to those dark places because like you said, Nancy, you might be healing, but you're never gonna be healed. Um, in the same way that like you're, you know, if you dislocate your shoulder, I'll pop it back in, go through some physical therapy. And then also like what you were saying, Casey, is like when I do, find those gains almost like with PT like I think about like bench pressing like if I can get up 285 that's amazing I don't like then put the weight set in the closet and go I'll be at 285 for the rest of my life Mm -hmm. no way like 
within a week, I'm going to drop down to 250. And within a month, I'll be able, barely be able to lift the bar, you know? So, I mean, it's like, if you don't stay on it, you're going to regress. Um, and if you take for granted your successes, you will regress and you will go to those dark places. But when you do give yourself grace and then just get back on, get back into the weights, get back into whatever that routine is. Um, and just understand that granted, you know, whether spiritually or physically, we're all broken people. <clears throat> and so accepting that about yourself and then just doing those little things to persevere. And then, like you said, Casey, like sort of partake, like be proximate to the misery. <clears throat> because when you try to distance yourself, you're going to run into trouble. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the classic bottle roll up inside until it explodes thing, right. you know? And I've done that too, and it doesn't work out very well, you know, but the, yeah, just, I, and I, I don't, I don't know. I don't want it to sound like a pity party. Cause I think that a lot of this, you know, there's that famous quote from Hemingway about like the world breaks most people, but some people become stronger in those broken parts, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a lot to that too, because you, yes, we're dealing with a lot of stuff, but like, I, I do feel like I'm a stronger person and I'm a more durable person because I've dealt with this stuff for so long. And that like, maybe I can stumble, I can fall, but like overall I'm a stronger person because of the shit that I've dealt with. And I think that's an important thing to keep thinking about as far as your mental health goes, is that like, like you said, it's like a muscle, you're working it out, you know, and like, you've done some serious, you know what I mean? Traumatic exercise to your brain going to combat and seeing the shit that you've seen, but it, it's not an altogether negative thing. Even if you are dealing with some PTSD type symptoms, like you, if you deal with it, you get it put in the right place. Like I think it can make you a stronger person overall, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Just, just like a goal. I don't know. Just like a, like you're trying to get stronger. It's like some, some positive thing you can think about with your mental health too is like this is this isn't the end of you you know this makes you a more durable person yeah yeah absolutely and i i don't know for me because i can feel it sometimes like just doing something as stupid as washing the dishes like i could just feel it start, like rise up almost like some cartoon character when they get like too hot and i can just feel it rising but then at the same time like i'm going to have to humble myself when i get out of this thing and apologize and, yeah. you know, be repentant, uh, but then not give up. Like, I can't just mm -hmm. leave. Like, when I feel that way, I can't just, like, get in the car, like, I'll see you in 72 hours. Like, you have to be proximate to it, and then you have to humble yourself uh, and then give yourself a ton of grace because um, it's just – sometimes it just fucking happens. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. And that's one thing, I mean, you sound like you're maybe – better practice i'm terrible at giving myself grace for anything you know so that's something i uh one of those things but i'm I awful i'm awful that's why i have to say it multiple times <laughs> yeah it's i mean but it's it's the truth you know and like you said you're going to stumble and because if you don't give yourself a little bit of grace you're just going to let it destroy you you know what i mean yep. and then your little failure is just going to completely you know unravel everything you can't let that happen so question from me for both of you what one or two things uh, for for good mental health do you wish you had known earlier in your struggles, earlier in this process? <laughs> for me, it's that it's stronger than I am, um, and I shouldn't have been so excited to go off the war. Yeah, when I was younger. Yeah, I, I would definitely second that. 
And I think it was the, I watched too many John Wayne movies when I was a kid too. You know what I mean? The strong, silent type. You never tell anybody anything. You never, and like we talked about before, like you just, you, if you do that shit, it builds and builds and builds. And then you, you've turned a, you know, a molehill into a mountain and then you have a real situation on your hands. So I wish I would have been more forthcoming and willing to communicate things with other people uh even just to have a somewhat dialogue even an internal dialogue you know what i mean because i wouldn't even uh, allow myself to consciously think about these things in a more rational manner you know what i mean i would just push it away instead of trying to confront it and deal with it and that was a lot of the you know the book and the writing process was like okay you have to confront these things and you have to try to make sense of these things that just don't make sense and so just that willingness to either engage with it with another person or even with yourself. Cause I don't think I was doing that even. And I think if I had, had I done that from the, from the get go and maintained like for me personally, like a consistent physical endeavor of some kind, some, something I could focus daily, like physical effort on as far and like personal too, like not even just cause I used to work construction, you know, it's physically taxing, but like just that, like for me, like daily running or lifting weights or something like that, like I just, I got to do something like that or there's going to be a problem. And I didn't know that, you know, I didn't know how much that stuff was helping me, maybe even when I was in the Marines. And uh, so just implementing that, I think that was, if I could go back to that, Casey, I'd tell him that maybe you wouldn't have as good a book, but uh, you'd probably be a little bit better off. And, and uh, I think it's pretty, you know, pretty well known that, previous generations of combat veterans did not talk about any of this stuff at all, at least not in public. Um, and Casey, you're, you're coming from your law school experience where you were around a lot of much younger, well, not much younger, you were around, around a younger group of people, that didn't come off well. Um, do, you, do you see any difference in how, how your younger classmates handle mental health as opposed to your generation and, you know, old people like me, is it different? Good question. Uh, you know, I think that it's starting to get different, but they're trying to put, you know, little band-aids over sucking chest wounds, you know, so that it's like, they'll have a, they're like, Oh, this is mental health day. It's a little mental health day is an email to these kids. that tells them they should take a moment for their mental health, but they're not like uh we're going to suspend the reading for the day because we're overtaxing you kids. So it's like, it's almost like a fake fix. You know what I mean? I guess it's a good, maybe it's progress because it's at least acknowledging it, but they're not actually doing anything. So like having saying that this is a mental health day, but that's it is almost meaningless to me, you know? So it's like, there's, I don't think that they're implementing any meaningful practices into I mean, they're still taxing these kids to their absolute limits, you know what I mean? And and as you can imagine, I mean, yeah, nobody's shooting at you, but some of these, I mean, there's kids that have mental breakdowns in law school, you know what I mean? Just because it's so much. And I get that. I get there's a weeding out process. I respect that. But I don't think, at least what I witnessed in law school, like I didn't see any different or better coping mechanisms, or I just saw the same shit different day, you know what I mean? With a, with a little, they, little ribbon put on it. Are they more willing to talk about it than than um, older people might be? I think the young people. I think, which is a step in the right direction. I think they're more willing to joke about it, which I think is a plus. You know what I mean? So there'll be. I think a lot of people are. Uh, 
like joking about their actual problems in joke form as opposed to actually admitting that they have a real problem. So they'll turn whatever thing they're struggling with into like a kind of a gallows humor, you know, and then they'll use yeah. that, which I think is a, is a plus, you know what I mean? I always say, if you can't laugh about it, you cry about it. So I'm, I'm all about that too. But, uh, I don't. That's about it, as far as mental. But yeah, but it's at the same time, like, because I agree with you. I think there's value in humor, uh, and there's value in that sort of gallows humor, <clears throat> because there is a sort of um, taking the power away, uh, regaining some agency over it. But like you're alluding to, you're al- you're also not confronting it. It's another way of yes. sort of skirting around the real issue. Yeah. Um, and, and, and not really getting in front of it. Um, I think one of the things, too, I guess going back to your uh, first question, Nancy, is that community. I was really hesitant um, to and whether it's, you know, a church community, um, a faith based community, uh, a, you know, veteran Marines, just veterans in general, uh, a therapy, small group. Uh, fly fishermen, a writing club, like wh- whoever I would, I would, hi- or even a, a workout club. Like if you want to join a CrossFit gym, like th- those folks seem to be really tight. Uh, a runners group, um, you know, find these places that you don't necessarily have to like always be talking about mental health and PTSD, but you are together and you're doing something more than just hanging out. Like of course you could just go to the bar. Um, but that's not going to do anything for you because you're not doing anything. Yeah. You need to be doing something. You need to be doing something with people that are also doing that thing. I think that that would be very, very helpful. It would have something I wish I would have embraced earlier on. Um, and then going to what you were talking about, Casey, I feel like that thing is what is lacking from this em- current and emerging generation is because there's so much going on with these damn small computers in our hands that when these kids they don't have these avenues of community for in personal community not plenty of online communities but there's not enough of that personal interaction they're not proximate with their pain and so there's no there's no healing going on there might be an acknowledgement but there's no actual healing because there's no one there to i don't know i i feel like there's a there's a there's a lot of of therapy in just being proximate, like physically proximate with people. Yeah, absolutely. And then, like you were saying too, if, if it's a part of a running club or some kind of physical club too, you, now you you put two of those things together, you know, and they become yeah. Or you know, a reading club too is spectacular. As long as it doesn't, which most of mine end up turning into drinking clubs, uh, most of the book clubs I've ever been in, but. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, which is fun too, but it's There's like, another kind of book club. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I like something that you can focus on that's outside of what you do and outside of, you know. And I think if you can add in the physical element too, that's that's fantastic. One of my problems I run into is that I I would be fine living in the mountains by myself somewhere. You know what I mean? Like I I actually deal with isolation very well. And but then when I'm around a lot of people doing something like that, then I can start to feel like I'm like, oh, this is actually positive. But the way I work, like I can be fine alone. And yeah. uh, so I, I sometimes I, I won't try to get into these larger groups and that kind of stuff because I'm like, no, I, I'll just mow the lawn by myself. I'll be fine. You know, so I have to <laughs> I have to like cut, like 
kind of forced myself to go do that more social stuff. And I, I like you said, it's, it's good medicine. It really is. Yeah. Well, another question for both of you. You're, you're both fathers. What, what lessons are you teaching your kids about handling, about having good mental health? I mean, I know that's a touchy subject and it may be too personal to ask you, but I mean, as dads, are there things that you've learned from your own struggles that you are, um, you know, trying to change or, or impart that knowledge on your, on your kids? I think me personally, it's just uh, to be able to talk about things, you know what I mean? Just to be able to get it out in the open, actually confront it and talk about it. Because that was definitely my generation of the don't talk about anything, don't bring it up, you know what I mean? Like, like we, in my family, at least growing up, it was like, if there's an issue, there'll be a big blow up, and then everybody will just go about their business like nothing happened without actually yeah. confronting the situation. So, like, I mean, yeah, a river, like, yeah, we all got it tough. <laughs> Yeah, you, you really want something to cry about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, and even though and it's funny because it's it's more difficult to do that because you have to take the conscious effort to be like, okay, we're going to have this big drawn out thing. And we're going to talk about it. Some people might start crying, you know, but at least you hope that you get in front of it. At least you get them comfortable talking about their feelings. And it's not this alien, uncomfortable thing when they get out and start their own families and that kind of stuff. You kind of hope that, you hope it makes a difference, you know, but I'm sure I'm damaged them and damaged them in other ways, just them observing me. So, oh, but sure. hopefully, yeah. hopefully they've taken that. From them. Yeah, we we're won't know until we get their kids. therapy bills, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're, I mean, like, we're all damaging our kids. That's for real. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, you know, my guys are uh, a bit young to sort of take on sort of a weightier thing. But one of the things, and I have nothing to do with this because I don't have a whole lot to contribute. But my wife is doing a really excellent job of a lot of what Casey's talking about is sort of upping their their EQ um, and making it very okay for them to just sit with their feelings and like, hey, dude, you're having like big feelings right now, like, it, and that's okay. But let's talk. Let's talk it through. Um, and you know, there'll be times where she'll just have a sit with them, and they'll walk and and like the you know what seems to be a painstaking process of like 10 15 minutes of them going through the single issue when they walk away from it they're great whereas mm -hmm. me i'm like i don't want to deal with it so it, yeah it's over in 30 seconds but i'm gonna harp on this stuff mentally for like the next two years oh yeah um and so anyways i i can't contribute a ton to that formation of so i guess i'm just really blessed to have her there walking them through that and making it and taking that stigma away that like when I'm having big feelings, I'm going to talk about it. Yeah. Well, I would like, I, you've reminded me that I should probably come clean about this. My wife does most of the, like, she's the real, re like she'll stop me from going more like, what are you crying about? That kind of a situation. <laughs> yeah. that because that's my default, you know what I mean? My default is to do that. So I have to kind of be brought back and be like, is that really the parent you want to be? And like, God damn it, no, it's not. So then I have to be brought back and kind of so. I mean, it's like most things in my life. It's it's all her, so. Well, and, and forgive me if, if that question was too personal, um, you know, to ask about parenting techniques. I mean, you know, I, I didn't mean to pry, 
So uh, no, not at you all. Need to edit that. Great okay. question. Yeah, great question. And it's so it's something important too because it's it's much easier to uh, not practice what you preach. You know what I mean? So when you tell your kids to go do something, you know, it's like you're kind of hoping that they all escape the way you think, you know, so they don't make the same mistakes you make. And you hope they do. Who knows if they ever will? I don't know. But. Yeah. I mean, uh, my, my kids are all adults now. I, I'm not going to talk about them on the podcast, but the one parenting thing I learned is uh, they all have their own dragons to slay. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's never the one you think it's going to be. They've all got their own, um, you know, their own separate dragon that's, just for them. Um. Yeah, that's an excellent point just for everybody in general too. And we kind of touched on it earlier is that everybody brings their own thing to the table, you know? Mm -hmm. And people talk to me about like, you know, like, was it the combat that actually did it? Like, I don't know. Like, would I have been this crazy without the combat experience? And there's a high likelihood I would have been anyways. You know what I mean? Combat can just amplify and distill everything and make it more potent than what it would have been without it. But I think the same stuff is within you and you're going to process stuff the same way regardless of your experiences. Yeah, for sure. Like, it turns it up to 11, but it yeah. doesn't mean that you weren't a nine before you actually got on the plane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's 100% true. Well, Casey, man, this has been a, just fantastic. Uh, you know, I I really admire everything that you're doing. Um, and uh, I'm just so happy that you've agreed to come on the show multiple times. Uh, I'm really enjoying staying in touch with you. Um, just keep doing what you're doing, man. Um, I don't know, Nancy, do you have anything else? No, that's no. it. Like, just just a parting message to everybody just to is just to keep moving forward. That's what I do. Just got to keep moving. And uh, it's normally better once you get on the other side of the hill. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, dude. So uh, for all of our listeners, the book is freaks of a feather. Um, go to YouTube. What was the, we'll post it on the, in the show description. If you, you mind of us sharing your commencement speech. With no, no. Okay. Luckily, it's grainy enough. You can't tell how nervous I was. So that's uh, that's ideal. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, we'll look out for you. Hopefully, we'll see more of your stuff on uh, uh, you know, task and purpose or um, what do you got? New York Times, Leatherneck Media Magazine. Yeah. So, uh, Ben, just keep doing what you're doing. Best of luck in your bar prep. Uh, when is your test? When when do you got when you test out? Into July, into July. Okay. So it's kind of right around. Yeah, so no stress. It's it, well, yeah, the yeah. beauty of it, it's only my whole life, you know, weighing <laughs> on this. So it's not anything to really get too stressed out about. No, definitely not. No, no, I mean, no. I'm it's just my livelihood. Yeah, no, it's totally fun. Yeah. It's just three years of your life that you've dedicated yeah. to this thing. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, best of luck to you, and uh, we'll try to get you back on the show sometime soon. Thanks again for having me, Vic and Nancy. I appreciate it. Yeah, Absolutely. Thanks, uh, take thanks it easy. for your time today, Casey. Scuttlebutt is a production of the Marine Corps Association. I am William Truding, but you've also heard the voices or contributions of Vic Rubel, USMC retired, Nancy Lichman, or Ty Frazier. The opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect the official stance of the Marine Corps, DOD, or Marine Corps Association.